reading this morning is from Mark chapter 6, verses 14 to 29, and this may be found on page 1008. 1008. Reading from Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 14. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I will give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with a request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a dish. The king was greatly distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought back his head on a dish. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Thank you. Thank you, Soterius, for reading uh, for us. Uh, it was made short in the reading, by the way, if you're wondering about the other verses. Uh, but keep it open in front, and as we come to this, uh, let me pray. Uh, Lord God, we thank you uh, for your word. Thank you that you're a speaking God. And we know many of us will be here this morning, tired, all sorts of things uh, on our minds, distracted in all sorts of ways. And so we ask you, please, by your Spirit, would you grab us by your word so that you might draw us graciously and kindly to the Lord Jesus. And we ask it in his precious name. Amen. Um, we call this little bit of Mark table talk, and part of the reason for that is you're going to find as we go through this section, there's lots of meals. 
Uh, there's lots of conversations that go on around meals or about meals, not, not exclusively, but through it. Um, and maybe as we go through, you'll have the opportunity to have some table talk as well off the back of this. Uh, maybe as you're just doing that, there's, there's times where you, you can be thinking about good meals you've had, bad meals you've had. We'll see some of those. Uh, this first one is not a great meal, is it? As you, as you read this little story, as you get into this bit, you think, well, here's a royal family that even Emily Maitlis might not want to interview. Because it is pretty horrific, uh, what we've just read. A dinner party where after the food, the severed head of a good man ends up on a plate. And even the way that the girl who's asked for it delivers the request, I think the way it's written is, I want you to give me right now on a platter the head of John the Baptist. It's delivered with with a kind of sinister, delicious drama to it that's pretty horrible. And you've got to wonder, why are we being shown this? Why is this story put in front of us? And you, you might wonder, what, what difference is this going to make for me? What good could this possibly do for me as I, as I head into school this week, seeing a horrible story about a man getting his head chopped off? What, what difference is it going to make for me as I as I head into work, to know it, uh, to know about this or to have this in mind. Look, I, one of the ways I think this passage will, will open up for us is if we keep in mind the flow of the book. Do you remember Mark? We've been going through this for a while. Do you remember Mark who's writing wants us to know about following Jesus? Right at the beginning, Jesus says to people, back in chapter 1, verse 15, repent and believe the good news. And if you look just before our reading in verse 12, as we get to this bit, we're, as Jesus sends out the apostles, we're, we're told this, that, that they went out and preached that people should repent. That, that word again, you'll probably know this, the word repent, it, kind of its literal meaning is, is to turn around, to change direction. It's being used here in terms of your, your orientation towards God. So morally, spiritually, you're going the wrong way, turn around. And so you understand, as you begin to go through Mark's gospel, what it's saying to you is that the Christian message is not in the first place, you're sad, here's joy. You're uninformed, here's wisdom. You're unfulfilled, here's satisfaction. It's not saying that in the first place, although the Christian message is you do get it. You find in all sorts of ways it is saying it will lead to joy and wisdom and satisfaction, but in the first place the message is repent. And there's an accusation in that, isn't there? We're in the wrong with God, we're going the wrong way. And Mark says, look, this is the message of Jesus. And it's the message of the apostles and therefore, it's the message of the New Testament. And so, it's the message that we need to have clear. So, here's the thing to keep in mind. Look, following Jesus means we'll need to speak about repentance. Now, would you notice in verse 30, if you just go on a little bit, if you've got the Bible open in front of you, it just, if you just go on a little bit, um, 
to the part we didn't read, we're told this, the apostles gathered round Jesus and they reported to him all they had done. That's following on from the bit just before this story when Jesus sent the apostles out and they went out and preached that uh, people would repent. Here's where they come back. And I, I think they've had a positive time. That's what we're being told here. People have responded, well, we're meant to hear that. And the reason we're meant to hear it, they're like bookends around this story we've got in the middle. The reason we're meant to hear that, but keep in mind with this other bit in the middle is, it's not always positive. In between those bookends, we have this story we've read. And John the Baptist, he also called people to repent. You notice that, the, the way the Bible is, it is quite a, a subversive book, and it's very egalitarian in this way. It, it is for the poor and for those in palaces. There's no, there's no kind of uh, getting off the hook if you're someone with position and privilege in that way. Uh, so it's, it's a message for the palace as well, and you get the background to John's message uh, and who he's speaking to in verse 18. Do you see that in the, the reading? For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And if you want some of the more details on that, it seems that King Herod persuaded Herodias to leave her husband, who was, John's, uh, who was Herod's brother, and then Herod divorced his own wife so the two of them could get married. Here's what we've got here. Here's a king and a queen. Where both are married and they've had affairs and there's now this remarriage. And you know the way that would go on today, wouldn't it? It'd be kind of a shock for a little while, but then people would say, well, look, love is love. There's no point staying in one marriage if you discover you really love somebody else. That, that's the way it'd be talked about, isn't it? That's the way our culture works. You notice the way, just as you hear those kind of things, love is love, no point. If you're unhappy here, you might as well shift on to something else. Have you noticed the way it's easy to make love mean? Well, you can make it mean this, can't you? My emotional desires at any particular point. You can make love mean that rather than love meaning my steady commitment to keep my promises to this person. Friends, watch out for the way words get redefined. Love is rarely just love. So all sorts of meaning standing behind it. And in this story, look, the, the first really looks like self-love, doesn't it, for Herod? Or selfishness. But who wants to say, who would ever want to say that the reason I've broken my promise to this person and to God is because I love myself too much to keep them? That'd be an awkward thing to say, wouldn't it? The reason I've not kept my promise is because of love, and it's, it's really because I love myself too much uh, to keep my promises. Herod was up to that kind of game. That's what's going on here. And, and John calls him out on it when he says it's not lawful. God says adultery is wrong. We all need to hear it. Adultery is wrong. And going after someone else when you're married to someone already is wrong. Someone doing that to you, it is wrong. Not just because we say it. God says it's wrong. That's what... Uh, John is saying to Herod, he's saying, you, you need to repent, and it doesn't end well, does it? 
you read the story, Herod has John in prison, verse 17. Herodias, though, I mean, she's something else. Now, what a couple, what a power couple. She's something else. She knows how to be patient. She knows how to get her own way. I mean, her daughter's complicated, her husband's manipulated, and John's decapitated. And you go through the story, I mean, it's dark, it's, it's almost comical, but it's so, so dark, it, it just the, the smoothness with which it flows as she executes this plan. And we're beginning to see in Mark how the message of Jesus is being rejected. Religious leaders have already been rejecting him. Here you've got civic and political leaders rejecting the kind of message that he comes up with as well. And if you get that, you begin to feel the punch in what Mark's saying here. Following Jesus means we'll need to speak about repentance. And that looks risky. That begins to look really risky, doesn't it? And not just because we know that we have a king and a queen for whom adultery has been a live issue. We live in exactly this kind of world but also because we live in a culture where, uh, where autonomy is king. You do you. It, it could be the slogan for a world, can't it? And if we start saying God says that's not right, well, it's not going to land well. So why would we do that? Why would we ever say anything like that? Well, look, three words to talk about around the table. We'll talk about them now. You can maybe talk about them around the table to to help us explore this, uh, uh, kindness, uh, power, uh, and tragedy. Look, look, first of all, re realize John's kindness. I once had to go to the House of Lords. It's quite exciting. I had to go and visit the, the Bishop of Derby. He sat in the Lords. He said, do you want to meet me at McDonald's, or would you like to meet me in the House of Lords? I said, I'll, I'll meet you in the House of Lords if that's all right. Uh, there was no way to get food in there on that day, so to be honest, at the end of it, I thought, I wish we'd met at McDonald's, because uh, I felt quite hungry, but it was quite exciting going there. I, I was all dressed up, kind of smart, I, there's a little door I had to go in, I walked up, not into the commons, into the Lords, and I got there, and there was, a, there was a policeman, there was a couple of policemen standing there, and I said, hello, I'm, and before I finished, they said, we know who you are, Mr. Todd, and why you're here. <laughs> not a hint of a smile from them. Please step this way. And I suddenly felt, just with those few words, their authority. I'm not in charge here. I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, for any, any thought of being a cheeky chappy as I walked up uh, to the House of Lords was immediately gone. And I thought, be careful what you say, David. This is not a place to mess around. You don't want to mess around with these people. They're serious and they've got clout behind them. Look, you've been in situations like that, haven't you? Maybe not at the House of Lords. But you've been in situations where maybe it's been the boss at work or somebody at school where you think, I don't want to end up on the wrong side here. And if you, if you can feel that, you, you understand this, this story better. John is challenging the king in a fairly uncomfortable way. It's not easy, but keep in mind, it's not a political interview. He is not trying to get rid of Herod. He's calling him to repent. He's saying, Herod, 
you need to listen. Your life's going the wrong way, and I want you to be right with God, and I'll take the risk of saying this to you in case no one else does. So you've got a chance. Do you feel that in this story? You notice verse 20. If you didn't, just look down at it with me. We're told this, when when Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. It's a funny little detail to put in. And I take that to mean that even in prison, John's interacting with Herod. He's, you get this, he's trying to speak to this brutal man in a way that engages him. John's not trying to win an argument. He's trying to win the man. He's trying to help him face the truth so that he'll come to God. That's what's going on here. Do you realize John's kindness? And do you begin to get an insight into that measure of kindness? Look, do realize John's kindness, but also remember the power of God's Word. When you, when you take time to, to look at the details of the story, for all Herod's strength, there, there's another power at work. Did you notice while John was alive, we're told Herod feared him? And when John was dead, Herod still impacted by him. Verse 20, Herod knows John's a good man. He, he's righteous. He, he's holy. And what John's saying is deeply unsettling for him. I mean, John's a wandering preacher, but he's, he's unsettling the king. At verse 18, when, when Herod's hearing about what Jesus is doing after John's died, he's thinking, this sounds just like John. On the surface, that Herod was all wealth and status and power and privilege, and you might know people like that. They look like they've got it all together. Nothing would penetrate them. But God's word has made a deep impact on him. It's good to be aware of that. Realize John's kindness. Remember the power of God's Word. But also, thirdly, recognize the tragedy here. It is a tragic story. If you talk about it and you ponder on the details a little bit, it's a tragic story. An honest man, a kind man, is brutally murdered. That's tragedy. It's absolutely wicked. You hear stories like this, and you're meant to be appalled, but you wonder if we're meant to feel a deeper tragedy. John is someone who, departing this life, his next conscious thought will have been being welcomed by the Lord. Do you ever think about heaven? You ever do that sometimes? You ever think about heaven and it's hard to imagine what it will be like? Do you ever think about that moment? It will happen for all of us when you will close your eyes for the last time on this life. You take your last breath, you will close your eyes for the last time on this life, and then you will open them again. You ever think about that? And you will open your eyes again, and you will see the Lord Jesus. Your next conscious thought, what will he say to you? What will he say to you, Christian? You just think about that. Well, he says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You trusted me. Welcome home. Do you ever think about that day? I wonder sometimes, you think about going to heaven, whether the Lord will take you for a walk. Maybe you'll do that. You go for a walk with him and you'll talk about your life and he'll say to you, you'll go through it and say, 
what did you think about this bit? And you say, I thought I was doing really well there. I, I was just having the best time. It was all sorts of things were going on. And you would say, yeah, actually, not so much. You ended up being really quite distracted from me at that point. I had to do all sorts of stuff just to keep you going. Oh. And maybe we'll point to another bit and say, what do you think about this bit? And you'll say, it, it was desperately hard. I thought, I thought I was only clinging on by my fingertips there. And the Lord Jesus will look at you and say, no, no. You were incredibly faithful there. I was delighted to be sending my spirit to you to keep you trusting. Well done. It'll be quite a day, won't it? Maybe filled with tears at times, but not the tears that lead to sadness, only tears on that day that help encourage the joy. That's the day that's coming for you, Christian friend. The day that John was heading into, but you realize what Herod's done. In cutting off John's head, he's cut himself off from the one who's telling him about the way back to God. He liked to listen to John, but he didn't repent. And because he didn't want to look foolish in front of a girl and some guests, he absolutely scuppered his chance. Do you feel the tragedy of that in this story? Martin Luther, the great reformer, once wrote about the way Christians should feel about people who mistreat them. He, he, he wrote this. I think it's going to come up on the screen. Uh, they grieve more over the sin of their offender than over the loss or offense to themselves. And they do this that they may recall those offenders from their sin rather than avenge the wrongs they themselves have suffered. You understand what he's saying? If you follow Jesus, sometimes people will treat you badly. But you know, one day God will give you all the comfort you need and deliver justice for, for every wrong done so you don't need to get your own back. So someone who really follows Jesus begins to feel in this tragic world, I'd love others who do things wrong to come to God and find forgiveness as well. And so you understand, look, following Jesus means as a church we'll need to speak about repentance. And this part of the Bible says, look, you will be helped by that if, if you recognize the tragedy of a life left in sin without God. If you remember God's word, word really is powerful, regardless of what things seem like on the surface. And if you seek to be kind, not proving people wrong, but, but wanting to win them over, even with risk to you. How, how might you start doing that? I'm not suggesting for a moment you, you've got to go into school or work tomorrow with a big badge on that says repent. <laughs> repent, or a big placard. You don't need to do that. But look, look, just little ways. So someone at work or at college says to you, Steve, look, why do you go to church? You're a smart guy. Why are you a Christian? Those things occasionally come up, don't they? People say that, and look, for an opening, you could say something like, look, do you know what? I... I discovered I needed the forgiveness that Jesus was offering. You throw that out. You're not saying anything about repentance, are you? Well, except you are. You're saying I was in the wrong, but Jesus has done something, turn me around. 
Conversation might not go anywhere, but it might. A man I met, Alice Potter, uh, he told me a story of reading his Bible on a train. He said a man came in and sat opposite him, so he put his Bible away. He said, I, I wanted to meet him as a, as a human being, first of all, just as a person before I met him as a Christian. And he got talking to the man about his life, and the man talked at length about his work. And Ellis said to him, do you enjoy it? And the man said, I really do. I really do. It's wonderful, isn't it? Somebody, most of the time, people, it's Monday, I'm going back to work. Talking to this man, he said, I really love my work. And Ellis said to him, are you grateful for it? The man said, I really am. I'm really grateful for my work. And then Ellis said, who are you grateful to? And it stopped the man short. He didn't have an answer for that. And Ellis, I mean, he was very cheeky with these kind of things. He began to speak to him, uh, began to speak a bit about God. Did he mention repentance? Uh, not really. We'll accept, you know, that bit in Romans that talks about taking God's gifts and never being grateful for them. That, that's what Ellis was beginning to speak to the man about. There's a God who made everything. You've loved the stuff you've got. Have you ever thanked him? And now they sound easy conversations, and they won't always be easy, will they? There's lots of talk at the moment, we, we know this in the Church of England, about marriage and relationships, and some of us are feeling, no more. Do we have to talk about this? And we know it will be really awkward. But we need to trust God's Word, and we need to clarify true kindness. So following Jesus means, as a church, we'll need to talk about Repentance. And we must be people who are repenting. It's a funny passage, isn't it? The more you look at it. It's one of those ones in the Gospels where it doesn't speak about Jesus. Except as you look at it again, it does. Let me tell you why. John the Baptist, his job was to point towards Jesus. And he's always doing that, I think. And even here... You just step back and think, what have we got in this story? Here we've got someone who's concerned about the tragedy of any life lived without God, who comes and speaks God's word with kindness, not with malice, and he finds himself served up on a plate because of sin. And you think, who does that sound like? And then you look at this plate over here. The plate that we're about to share, a meal where Jesus says to us, this is my body served up for you. And when Jesus calls us to repent, it's with kindness, not with malice. John's following Jesus, and we must too. So there's three words for you for your kind of table talk if you have conversations over a meal at some point. What do I think about this kind of kindness? Do I think about God's Word having this kind of power? And where's my compassion uh, when I meet the real tragedy in this world? There could be three good things to talk about. Uh, we're going to stop there. We're going to come to the Lord's Supper in a moment. Before we do that, by way of response, and we're going to sing again. The musicians are going to come back up. 